welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and this is going to be my first dispatch for the Maryland Film Festival. A little bit later, I'm going to be going to an interview uh, that Emilio conducted with Marnie Ellen Hertzler, director of Crestone, which premiered this past weekend at the Maryland Film Festival. But first, I'm going to review, review, I don't necessarily consider myself a, uh, a critic, but I'll do what I can. I- I'm going to talk about some movies that I've seen uh, over the past few days. So, I'm going to start with I Blame Society, which is directed, co-written by, and starring Jillian Wallace Horvat. It's a kind of mockumentary, horror-tinged, meta-film about a woman named Jillian who is told that she would make a good murderer, and when she kind of runs out of projects, she turns to this project that she had abandoned several years ago, kind of riffing on that subject, and it uh, sort of spirals into a uh, a story about a film director who murders people. Uh, this, uh, it, in a way, there's things that remind me of a couple of movies that we've talked about. I think uh, when we talk we we talked about Deerskin several weeks ago. That also features a premise that leads to a director spiraling into murder. Uh, another movie that I was reminded of, actually, very different, is uh, My First Film, which we talked about a couple of times because we saw it different times, which was Z.A. Inger's film about about kind of the process of what is a first film, making an independent feature, uh, the sexism in the the independent film industry, and there are a lot of those themes in I Blame Society. In fact, I think that is when it is at its most interesting. There's a segment that is very very much about that in which, uh, and that's what most reminded me of my first film in which Jillian interviews with these, uh, couple of douchebags who, uh, are offering her work that seems to be beneath her, uh, and they, they show up again at the end of the film, which is in a, a nice little, uh, Nice little sequence there that I won't spoil. But yeah, it, I, d- I don't know that I loved it, it, but I, you know, if you're, I think you can tell from what I'm saying if you're going to be picking up what it's throwing down. It's, it's very specific and weird. Again, I, I compared it to a couple of things, but it's very much doing its own thing. Uh, and so yeah, I mean, if you're into that kind of, meta horror mockumentary thing i think you probably dig it it wasn't wasn't the most for me but like and and also it is something with deeper themes about the film industry that 
probably were pervading deeper throughout the film than I was necessarily picking up. But yeah, it's a, it's a cool little movie. Uh, a short that I watched is called Foreign Powers, directed by Bingham Bryant. Uh, he also wrote and edited the film, and it co-stars Hannah Gross and Dara Campbell, two actors who I quite like. Hannah Gross, I think I'm, I mentioned that Hannah Gross is also in another short that I have not seen yet at the festival. She is most well-known for playing Jonathan Groff's girlfriend in the first season of Mindhunter. She's also in the Venice 28 com 2018 competition title, The Mountain, which we will be talking a little bit about in about a week and a half. Derek Campbell is the star of Anne at 13,000 Feet, the Kazik Rudwanski film that I saw at the Toronto International Film Festival last year. Uh, she's really excellent in that. I hope that... I, I want to say it has a distributor. Let me look that up real quick and see if it maybe has some sort of U.S release timeline the cinema guild picked it up that's very nice uh they've been doing some of these hong thing su films that have come out recently uh let me take a look at their website to see if they've got any info about when it might be coming out though you know if it is if it is planned, it looks like it's planned for a theatrical release, so that is hard to say when that might happen, though I got, uh, I know theaters are beginning to reopen, I got an email or a push notification or something from Regal saying that they're, uh, they're planning on reopening theaters July 10th, uh, and I know AMC and Cinemark, I think you're even ahead of that. I don't know. I think my county does not have a specific timeline for when theaters might be reopening. They are going to be entering phase two of reopening this Friday, but that does not include movie theaters. So we'll see. And uh, we'll see. Probably not super responsible to go to a movie theater if they do open in July. Uh, maybe we'll get some uh, articles from uh, doctors or researchers, scientists, saying uh, how bad an idea that is. Or perhaps we'll be surprised and uh, it's not that bad an idea. I guess the one encouraging thing is that researchers found... Oh, uh, I read this article a while ago. I want to say this is in either, I believe it was in Korea, South Korea, obviously, where uh, stuff has been reopening. Uh, I believe they found that a place that was not a good spreader of diseases was the train, because people don't really talk on the train. They just kind of sit there and mind their own business, uh, which kind of describes a movie theater, though I think it's also been discussed that people laugh in movie theaters, 
In horror movies, people gasp, which might make things a little bit more dangerous. Anyway, that's enough me pontificating on whether it's a good idea to go to movie theaters. Uh, this is a short film anyway that I'm talking about, which is unlikely to be in movie theaters, but because it is one of the short films at the festival, it is viewable across the whole United States, this film Foreign Powers, the Bing and Bryant movie that I started talking about 20 minutes ago, I assume, is in the Narrative Frontiers section. As it happens, the other two films, I Blame Society, that I talked about previously, and Wrath, which I'm going to finish up talking about, despite being features, are also available internationally. So you can check, not internationally, nationally. They're available throughout the United States. So that means if you're in the United States, you ought to be able to check them out. Uh, but Foreign Powers, starring Hannah Gross and Dara Campbell. Hannah Gross plays a woman who is telling her friend, Dara Campbell, about a dream that she had. She starts out by uh, saying... I had this dream last night, and, uh, you were in it, and, uh, I killed you. And so she elaborates upon that, uh, leading to an inevitable end. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very, very dreamy film. I sometimes struggle with dream films because I don't remember my dreams, so I'll, Perhaps my dreams are super vivid. I don't know what it is like to have vivid dreams because the moment I wake up, they're something between a whisper and just the dullest possible hum. Uh, but there are ways in which this feels authentic to how dreams work. I think one interesting thing about it is that, I mean, like, the... The way in which I think it, it reflects how dreams work really well is just the kind of boring ways in which it doesn't make sense. Like, it's just like, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and none of it logically follows. But within the context of the dream, it's like, sure, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think what's interesting about it is that normally when you have a dream sequence in a film or most types of art, it's reflecting something about the reality of the film. Uh, in this case, the reality of the film is very much subsumed by the dream reality, because almost the entirety of the diegesis is Hannah Gross's character describing this film in which they explore the city of A, uh, you know, with a couple brief intrusions of reality. In that way, it's almost a little bit similar to a film that I love, Alain René's Providence, which I might have plugged uh, when it played on the Cinephobe channel, which is unfortunately having some technical difficulties at the moment and so is not currently streaming. But uh, Providence stars... John Gilgood is a writer who's having this kind of fever dream or it, it's it's different it's the it's that is a super specific of like the you're ill and you're having this fever dream where you're not totally asleep and you're kind of aware that you're 
fabricating this thing in your mind. But anyway, the majority of the film is this sort of fever dream that he's writing. Just hit my microphone. Sorry about that. Uh, and so you you know that it must be reflecting something about reality, but you don't have that reality for it to reflect upon. You kind of just have to imagine it, and I think that's what this is doing as well, which is a really cool thing to do. Yeah, I, I, I've not had a chance to watch the rest of the Narrative Frontiers shorts yet. I, I wanted to get to this one specifically because the cast excited me, but in general, Narrative Frontiers is the kind of section I'm interested in, and so if I do get a chance to go back through that, I might revisit this as well in its regular part in the sequence. I think it could reward repeat viewings. So, I'm now going to talk about the, uh, the first film I saw, actually, Wrath. Uh, starring Grace Glowicki, directed by Harry Chepka, co-written by Chepka and Glowicki. Uh, Wrath, by the way, is a U.S. premiere. It premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2019, uh, which makes some sense. It's a, a Canadian... I was thinking... I, I couldn't immediately tell where it was set, but I... I was thinking, well, the fact that it's an independent film that premiered at Toronto as opposed to Sundance or South by Southwest or Tribeca made me think, oh, probably Canadian, and it is in fact a Canadian film uh, set in Vancouver, in and around Vancouver. Uh, speaking of premiere status, Foreign Powers, the short film that premiered at New York Film Festival last year, and I Blame Society is another U.S. premiere that the Maryland Film Festival has. It premiered earlier this year at uh, the International Film Festival, the International Film Festival of Rotterdam. Uh, which is a cool festival. We talked about the film that won that festival. We talked about a short film by that director who is named Jinwan Zheng Lu. Uh, I found that to be a pretty exciting film, uh, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it's the debut, her debut feature, I believe, that won Rotterdam called The Cloud in Her Room. Uh, Rotterdam's, uh, it, it's, that, that is all just to say I think Rotterdam is a pretty cool festival. It, uh, and it's where I Blame Society film. They kind of do, uh, a combination of, uh, taking some stuff from the previous year that may not have come out yet, either uh, locally or worldwide, uh, but yeah, so this film, this film that's making its U.S. debut, North American debut, I believe, uh, is, or no, the one that was making the North American debut was, uh, I Blame Society, I've confused myself. The movie I'm talking about now, making its U.S. debut, is Wrath, which I quite like. 
Uh, stars Grace Glowicki, as I mentioned, as a woman named Raph, who meets another woman named Tal, uh, and it, I'm gonna make another comparison, because I am such a wonderful critic that that's all that I can do, uh, no, it, it's fine, uh, uh, remind, it, it worked as an interesting companion piece to 14, which we talked about last week, and that it's about this friendship that has, I think, really compelling elements, and I say compelling in terms of compelling to the characters, not compelling as a, as a piece of art. Uh, there are compelling elements to this friendship, I think that, especially in in Wrath, that's made clear through uh, some of the narration towards the beginning, uh, that, that's very sparsely used uh, from Wrath. In 14, you kind of, you see how some of the more compelling elements, both closer to the beginning when it's going a little better, and also in the wonderful monologue towards the end uh, that Telly Meadow gives. Uh, but, but, there is just, the relationship just can't quite work, and th that's where the films totally differ in 14. It's a much more interpersonal, uh, dealing with demons and whatnot, uh, whereas, uh, in Wrath, it is much more, it really is about class, uh, Raph is, you know, doing perfectly fine for herself. She seems perfectly functional. Uh, she she works a couple of jobs, but you know she she's got got time to do stuff. She has a boyfriend uh, who she hangs out with. Uh, but Tal is much more well off. They the way that they meet is very indicative of the kind of divide between them uh it's very i'll say it is a very funny film it's not necessarily a comedy in the q a after the film harry chepka mentioned both that he had at one point kind of been interested in comedy but never really saw himself as a joke writer and so he kind of moved into other forms of art but the other thing is that, uh, the way, the kind of the way that they figure out what works in film it, it was kind of, uh, Grace would make him laugh and me be like, oh, okay, that, that, that seems like something that should go in the movie, which I think works really well. Uh, but the way that Raph and Tal meet is that Tal is jogging and she's just kind of high-fiving people, uh, and, uh, Raph is carrying several bags of groceries, and, uh, Tal goes, all right, high-five, and she drops half her groceries, which is a very, uh, I think we're all familiar with dropping groceries. Last week I had, uh, the handle, one of the handles break on a bag I was carrying the two-block trip home followed by the other handle breaking. What a pain in the ass. Uh, so that is very much indicative of the way in which Tao, who they do 
that is how they meet. They kind of have a couple other chance encounters before they become friends. It's very indicative of kind of Tal's inconsiderateness. Inconsiderateness? Inconsideracy? Of Tal's not being considerate. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the, it's a really, they're both really compelling and interesting performances, uh, I think the one place in which it a little bit falters for me, Chepka mentioned in the Q&A that he kind of had thrown out some of the more aesthetic-based project ideas that he had, and uh, focused on something that was more about story and about emotion and content. I think that, you know, the, the way he clearly still has a lot of aesthetic ideas. Some of them mesh really well with the story. I don't think they ever get in the way, but some of them, or distract, but some of them feel a little bit more disjointed and leave the film tonally not quite as consistent, tonally and formally not quite as consistent as I might like, but still I would highly recommend this movie. Uh, it, it became available Monday night, uh, and will be available throughout the duration of the festival. Again, all three of these films that I've talked about are available across the United States. I Blame Society premieres Friday night. Uh, yeah, I think with that, I'm going to go ahead and throw to Emilio. Talk to you guys later this week. Bye. Now I do what I want. Now I do what I want. Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. I'm Emilio Diaz, and right now I'm not joined by any of my co-hosts as I am interviewing the lovely Marnie Ellen Hertzler, director of Crestone. If you haven't listened to our previous episode where we talked with Eric Allen Hatch about Crestone, Crestone is an independent film surrounding a group of SoundCloud rappers in the apocalypse. How would you describe your film, Marnie? Thanks for having me. Um, uh, I think there's many ways to describe it, and I, it usually changes based on my mood. <laughs> but, I, but I'm in a good mood today. So, yeah, it's like... Um, a surreal telling of a group of friends um, out in the desert of Crestone, Colorado, and um, what we can do with the, the power of friendship and creativity against all odds. So yeah, there's themes of the apocalypse. There's um, you know visuals of the earth burning around them, and um, just dealing with uh, different. Uh, uh, issues that may come up as we're like trying to make sense of the world changing. Yep, and if there was ever a time to watch a movie about the world changing, it might be right now. 
Um, how did the idea, how did this project start, come about? What was the genesis of the idea about making this film about SoundCloud rappers and this sort of documentary, sort of mockumentary about their lives? Yeah, sure. And also it's like, it's interesting because we shot it in 2017 and it was like a time to talk about this stuff or like watch this film because there were those crazy wildfires happening in Colorado and in Australia. So it's, I feel like <laughs> it's like themes of the end of the world will always be relevant, which is like interesting and sad and also funny. Um, and I guess just part of being alive. But um, yeah, Creston started actually, I, I, I've been friends with these guys since high school and I'm really bad at keeping in touch with people long-term, but for whatever reason, Josh, the character sad boy in the movie, um, has been my best friend for the longest time ever. And we're always in touch on and off. And like, he's always keeping me up on date on what he's doing. So I knew he was out in Cresto and I knew he was recording new music and I knew the artist he was working with and um, the crew he was running with. And I, and I always wanted to make work with him from the beginning of time. So I found this to be to be the perfect opportunity to collaborate and um, bring our lives back together. I It originally started, I don't know if you're familiar with the filmmaker Theo Anthony, who did Rat Film and um, a couple really great short films. He was also based in Baltimore, but uh, he's a good friend of mine. Um, it was originally a concept I came up with him. And then um, just timing wise, uh, I had to, to hurry and get it finished. And so Theo, um, was unfortunately busy at the time, but I, I just went out there with my friend Corey Hughes from Baltimore and we shot it in eight days. Um, but yeah, so it was just, we had a rush because they were getting evicted and I didn't have a lot of money, so I just had to do everything really fast. Yeah, yeah. And in a non-insulting way, you can kind of tell in the film, but it, it kind of lends to the authenticity seeming of of like the experiences and the sort of conversations these guys have during the movie. I is the collaboration with Sad Boy, okay, Josh, who is your friend of yours, is that why, do you think that inspired the film to be this sort of kaleidoscopic in the way it is? Like sometimes it is a, takes a format of a, doc, of a documentary, sometimes it takes the format of just like free-flowing drone footage, sometimes it's a montage over still images, sometimes, and these are some of my favorite parts of it, it delves into being sort of music videos for the for the SoundCloud rap songs that the characters in the film and the people in real life, I assume, made. And so do you think that was part of the collaboration you had with these guys that you wanted to try a lot of stuff out? Yeah, definitely. And collaboration is really important for me in my work. And I think because these guys are so unique and because I don't, um, through my lens and through my gaze, I... I, I don't fully know their experience. And so I wanted to be sure they had agency over their experience and um, how they wanted to be portrayed and how they wanted their music to be presented. So um, I, I left that open for collaboration and, and I listened to them. To, and a lot of, you know, a lot of the scenes were even written by them, the trailer looting scene. I think that was sloppy and Josh's idea. So I just really wanted them to have agency over their story. And then the music videos, it was kind of like a deal. I told them, <laughs> I told them, I don't know what I'm going to come home with, but I promise you I'll make some music videos. So I was making music videos anyway. I loved um, uh, like the movie Bombay Beach, where she also incorporated music videos. And I'm a huge fan of 
Cole Bennett's Lyrical Lemonade's work. And so I, I wanted to play with that style and play with that side of the SoundCloud rap culture. Um, and so I thought it was appropriate to include those things. And then, you know, the, the more um, atmospheric drone shots, that was a lot of that was Corey's writing, too. And that comes from a lot of how Corey makes films and shoots films. So that was very much part of him. And also I thought shots like that would be a great opportunity to bring Animal Collective score into it because they're so good at describing landscape in their music. So yeah, it was just a melting pot of a lot of different creative people coming together and um, trying to make make something. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was to say that I certainly appreciated that in the film, which I am a huge fan of in case you haven't listened to the previous episode where we talk about it. Because I feel like SoundCloud rap is usually something in culture generally, apart from spaces of music criticism, seen with a little bit of derision, like something that's easy to do, something that people don't really take seriously, that's just mumbly and weird. And I appreciate how lovingly it's portrayed in the film and how how much space is given to these guys to seem like real people that you empathize with and just like the different cast of characters that exist in it. And do you think that was important to you and to these guys that like, None of this is treated like as a joke. This is treated as like their genuine artistic expression that they want to share out there in the world. Yeah, I think as creators, as you know, we're always constantly fighting bias and, and competition and like defining what art and creativity actually is. And so I actively want to want to fight those impulses and those biases. And I think, yeah, sure. Um, SoundCloud gets a bad rap, but I think any pursuit of creativity and happiness through art um, is to be commended and is to be looked at and listened to and is important. So I I definitely wanted to look at SoundCloud rap in that form of of creativity and self-expression in in a very um, non-judgmental and um, honest lens, because I think that's what creativity deserves, especially now when voices are so silenced all the time and um yeah i just you know every, every form of creativity is important no judgment <laughs> yeah yeah and the question i had was i guess it is a sort of reflection that i had re-watching the movie yesterday for this interview and just like things that are happening in the world as heck as that may be of just like there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of like interviews with these guys and just like them sort of free-flowingly describing some of their worldviews and it's like very telling that these are just guys that want to sort of, that sort of felt rejected by society in some way or another and want to like forge their own path and that is sort of like the community they're trying to build in Crestone over the movie as finding a place where they may have been rejected or hurt in the past and taking that all away and finding community within oneself and like with the things going on about with how how fast our world is changing do you think it was valuable to talk to guys like this these and like figure out what they thought about the world and how to portray that in like a positive light like even if it's not the most sought out thing to just show just like how people are marginalized and how people might respond to that and how people will find their own communities even if it's like not as nice as what one might live in right now yeah definitely and I think it's important to point out that um it's hard to remember when you're watching it a lot of it is scripted and they didn't live this remotely there's two grocery stores in Crestone and you know they have jobs so it's like um we did portray their setting as a little bit derelict but they you know 
they're adults and they, <laughs> they live adult lives too. Um, but yeah, I, I do think there, uh, many of them are marginalized and I think it's important to listen to all voices and there are more voices um, necessary at this time in the world. And um, yeah, it, uh, I think it's important for platforms and um, to show that, you know, to show different ways of life and to show people like different ways people are solving crisis and um, I don't know, more, more room to learn about each other, um, whether or not we see them on the news or we see them on um, Instagram stories. Um, I think, you know, every experience is important. Yeah. And as we're talking about like the collaboration and the people you both were friends with and met through the process of making of the film and what they contributed. One of my co-hosts, Colin, was very enamored by the bicycle riding guy who, who, who if for people who have not watched the movie, uh, there is a, a seeming non sequitur of, towards a man who is riding a bike to California from Colorado and is given a, a pair of goggles and some bread and is sent on his way and reads a Robert Frost poem. And it's a, a particularly enchanting part of the movie. So how, was, how did you meet that guy? Where did he come from? What was the idea behind that? He's everyone's favorite character, and everyone is so charmed by him. He's very enchanting, and in, in real life, too. So when Corey and I, um, again, Corey is the DP and collaborator, um, co-writer, but um, when Corey and I pulled up to Sloppy's house the first day we arrived in Crestone, that exact scene was happening in real life. Like, Cody had pulled up on his bike and was showing Sloppy his new bike he had made and was telling him his plans on riding it to California and whatever, and... Corey was like, okay, we have to, we have to shoot this scene like this. We have to replicate this because it's so strange and cool and important. So, um, you know, we, we added our like own creative apocalyptic twist to it. But um, yeah, that's very, Cody, his name's Cody and Cody is a very real person. And that's really how charming he is. And um, he does have these amazing goals of um, reaching a utopia in California. Um, yeah. We had to include him. Yeah, I mean, you, if you have a great image, you can't pass it up. So. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, another thing, we are a podcast about film festivals mostly, really. So I'm curious to ask what it was like, what was the process behind being at the True Falls Film Festival at Columbia Missouri, which is now one of the last film festivals to have ever happened, I guess? And then what was, was that experience and going from there to then South by Southwest where the movie was also set to show being canceled? How was that whole experience? I f yeah, I feel so lucky. Um, I feel so lucky we got to show it in a theater. I mean, who knows when that's ever going to happen again, if it will. Um, it was a great experience. Like I, uh, I found it way more emotional than I thought it was going to be. It's hard showing a group of strangers something you've worked on alone and your room with like only a few people for three years of your life. So it, you know, it, it was beautiful and, and challenging. Um, and I was, I was doing this uh, talk with another filmmaker and um, the talk got interrupted because it had just been announced that South by Southwest had been canceled. So it was like this whole, like really emotionally heightened experience <laughs> just being like, we all like halfway through the festival were like, Oh, maybe we should stop shaking hands. And, um, I, you know, I wonder if they're going to cancel our flights. So it, it was very surreal. But True False is such an incredible festival and the programmers are so insanely talented. Um, Amir George, you know, they open uh, 
they have openers for every movie, like a mu- musical opener. And um, we luckily got paired with this um, artist, Jay Wood out of Chicago, who's an incredible rapper. And so that was such an awesome experience to share the stage with him. Um, yeah, what a beautiful fest. And- yeah, so, so you have that great experience at that film festival, and then uh, you think that you're going to be at South by Southwest and then at the Maryland Film Festival, and then obviously all of this happens. What were your reactions to that sort of thing? And were you, I, I assume there is some level of disappointment over not being able to continue to show your film that you worked so hard on in theaters, but also it be, uh, premiering on the internet and during a seeming apocalypse also seems weirdly fitting for your film. So how do you feel about that? I mean, it's like almost like I deserve it <laughs> for making a movie about the end of the world. But uh, I was really looking forward to South by and mainly just because all of the guys were going to be there. And it was um, I was uh, really excited about uh, South by Southwest and mainly because it was going to be a chance for the guys in the movie to see it all together with me. And it was just going to be a huge celebration of all of our hard work and collaboration we were gonna throw like a huge party that was gonna be like this pseudo fundraiser for sloppy's like utopian community on gofundme and yeah it would just been great to have them up there for like this like crazy q a with me um but hopefully in the future we'll get to do something like that and you know there's like we played uh the boiler boiler room film festival the fourth week film festival and that was so exciting because all of a sudden the audience opens up to the entire internet world. So that, you know, like all of these kids and viewers who would have never seen the movie because like no one goes to film festivals because it's expensive and like exclusive. Um, they got to see it for free online and, and that's so awesome. And there was like a live chat room box next to the screening. So like Fong was in there like, doing like technical like tech help and like talking to people and answering questions live and like that's such a beautiful way to interact with film and like the your audience and I think very apt to the themes of Crestone and um just connectivity through the internet yeah the themes of all my work so even though I am missing this like really exciting and uh important festival experience I think there's like a lot out in the internet terrain and a lot available there to still explore for this movie. Yeah, me and my, me and my co-host talked about it on a recent episode. We all watched Via Anger's My First Film. I don't know if you're familiar, but she is currently also doing a showings online with an element of like audience participation and just like the way that what a film experience is can change over the internet and that sort of thing i feel like it is a ripe territory to explore right now when there is literally no other option ha- have you been thinking about that and how that might affect any future projects of yours yeah zia is a really good friend of mine and i think her work is incredible she's a brilliant and really important filmmaker but um yeah we have some ideas up our sleeves um for crest and i think there's like some fun ways to tap into different audiences and, and like interact with viewers so um yeah stay tuned there'll be some cool screenings um and then yeah for my you know I, I'm like starting on my second feature and that deals a lot with like um with how, how we're gonna be like portrayed and 
express ourselves in the what seems to be far future but actually really near future like singularity and mind uploading and what all that means and and how the internet is actually just a way to preserve perhaps rather than be like actively communicating um so yeah i think you know um all rules are off we can do whatever we want now yeah all bets for sure are off yeah and i guess i just i also wanted to ask um have did you ever consider like how far into the conception of Crestone do, did you have thoughts about like it being a cross media experience like these these songs being out there interacting with fans out there there's a lot of good use of I assume fake Instagram in the film I don't know if those accounts made in the film and just like how to explore those characters personalities in that sort of way did you ever consider doing it in a way that extends beyond the realm of just looking at a film oh yeah i mean like how cool would it be to watch a feature film on like instagram stories it would be so confusing and like strange but also the film would take on it in completely different context and you would just like like bop in it in 10 second intervals like it would be so weird and i think exciting and then yeah i think I would love to release the music videos as their own one-off thing. I would love Animal Collective to like do, you know, see what they would do with with their portion of the collaboration, their beautiful score. So, um, yeah, I've definitely thought about it. Um, and again, stay tuned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, apart from Zia, are there any other people like experimenting in that sort of form that you have been interested in like seeing what they do and following and see how they, they innovate like i know miranda july has also done work with like instagram stories and that sort of stuff have you have you been paying attention to that space of like social media filmmaking man i feel like i used to i'm just trying to think i you know i i'm just like I'm straight up reading about the singularity now. That's like all I do. <laughs> so, 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 um, I don't, I'm not really aware of, of anyone else that's not in my immediate circle right now. I think, um, you know, thematically a lot of filmmakers are, are working in that, in that vein, but, um, in terms of anyone on Instagram or online, I'm not totally sure. I'm sure, like, as soon as this interview is over, I'll be like, oh my God, here's like seven amazing filmmakers who are doing it. I just totally forgot. But, yeah, again, I'm I'm a little out of the loop at the moment. And also, I kind of, like, you know, after, like, devoting three years of my life to, like, watching, like, religiously watching and saving Instagram stories, it's nice to take a little break <laughs> and just, like, and read a book. <laughs> yeah, reading books is nice. <laughs> so, you, you mentioned the movie took three years, like, you shot it in 2017, and then it took three years to finally come out this year. What was that process like? What was the experience? Was it mostly just post-production work, editing? Was, was, I assume there were some distribution hassles. What was the process of that? I mean, this is my first feature, so I don't, and, like, I don't, like, I just, I just do things the way I understand how to do them. So, I, you know, I don't know if that's a legitimate amount of time to, like, edit a film, but I definitely needed all of that time. The movie was, you know, like, probably like seven or eight different movies before this one but this is the best version of itself um yeah we went through a lot of different iterations um you know 
I worked on a couple projects in between. I made a short film in 2018 that took up, you know, a, a lot of the time. But um, yeah, the process, I, I worked directly with the editor, Albert Burney, and Chris Osborne edited some of the music videos, and Meredith Moore did the after effects. So, you know, it was like on and off collaboration and um, Anima Collective, and, and I bounced back um ideas with each other for a while so we just like really took our time and made sure we got the movie we needed and made sure we told the story we we needed to and I think um even though it was a long few years I I think it was necessary to um yeah to really express what we needed to in this film and especially in my first feature film I want to make sure I like give it my best shot too um and then, yeah, the producers' memory were so great, and I think they watched, like, a million different versions of the film, too, and um, they just, like, really encouraged me to take my time and not rush it into the festival circuit or um, just, like, make sure it was the best possible version. And I guess this might be just for a final question. How did... I, I assume they were involved throughout the entire process, but how did the guys who were the stars of the film how did they feel about the final product uh, did they give you any interesting feedback when they watched the final version was there are there any stories there oh my god emilio i was so nervous because they're like the only uh, i'm sorry everyone else but they're like the only opinion i really care about for this movie because it's like it's their film and i if they're not happy with it then i it's a failure and i was shocked how well they received it I mean they like I don't know Hakeem was really moved by it and I think felt like very fairly portrayed and like was really happy with the final product I think everyone was just like surprised they're like oh wait it's it's actually a movie (laughs) like they didn't they didn't know what I had been working on for three years you know they're like so I feel like a couple weeks after I had shot it they'd been like so when's the movie coming out and I was like oh no don't you dare start with this so it was just like it was nice for them to really see that I was that I was taking time to make something good for them um, rather than just like coming out with like a YouTube vlog or something with our experience. Um, but they loved it. Um, they all watched it multiple times and they're still really excited about it. And um, yeah, that makes me really happy. It makes me feel like, um, you know, I did okay. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you very much for joining me, Marnie. It's been a great conversation. Uh, for anybody who is in the Maryland area, you can watch Press Film at the Maryland Film Festival online. Uh, do you have anything else you would like to say or plug? Um, I, um, I don't think so. Uh, thanks, everyone, for watching. If you watch, I also think it's like a worldwide screening. So even if you're or no, the U.S. wide screening. Okay. So if you're in the U.S., you can you can watch it. Um, but yeah, thanks for watching. Thank you so much, Emilio. It's nice to um, to be a part of this podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. All right. All right. And with that, I will go ahead and release our audience. Bye-bye.